Welcome to Conversations with Anne Elizabeth, the podcast inspired by my book, I'm a Registered Dietitian, Now What?, where I have the absolute joy to sit back, relax, and have a conversation about nutrition with a variety of people who share their personal story of passion and purpose, especially registered dietitians. Today's conversation is with Andrew Dole, a registered dietitian who embodies the word passion in my eyes. He didn't start his professional career in nutrition, but became a certified executive chef, which is not an easy task, by the way. He realized his passion for nutrition while still fueling your body and eating delicious food is a possibility. Andrew is the owner of his own practice, Body Fuel, which specializes in sports performance and lifestyle nutrition. Andrew continues to be a teacher and lifelong learner, which is taking him on quite the journey in his dietetics career. Please join me for my conversation with Andrew. That kind of not starts out in a positive way, but I know that maybe we can end on a positive way if we kind of talk a little bit about you and just all the exciting things that you've done and are doing and maybe just the positives about your PhD program and all that good stuff that you're looking forward to. So, and I know that when we connected, we got to go on a little trip, not that long ago, but it seems like forever ago that we don't get to go anywhere anymore, (laughs) anymore right now, but I didn't get a chance to really get to talk to you and get to know you. And that's why I wanted to take this opportunity to do that and kind of learn about your path and your career and where it's where it started and where it's going. So maybe take me back to little Andrew. When when did little Andrew kind of figure out this whole kind of nutrition life profession? Yeah. So little Andrew was a chef and he got into bodybuilding and started to get kind of big. And his guy he was training with was an IFBB pro or going for his pro card, just a massive dude. And he was telling me things to eat. He's like, oh, you want to eat like boiled chicken and green beans? And I'm like, dude, I don't, I don't eat that way. I'm a chef. Sorry, man. I'm not <laughs> Chefs do not eat that way. <laughs> no, but I'm like, we can eat good and I can still get big and lean. And I started feeding him in trade for training because he didn't believe me. And so I started doing custom meals for him. And he's like, dude, this is like really good. And I'm like, yeah, man, like you're 280 pounds and you're eating great food. He's like, I've been doing this for decades and I've always been eating the, you know, plain stuff. I'm like, I know. And so I started a business out of that. And I started a food meal prep business long before all these other protein meal stuff. I was, I was doing them and prepackaging in the frozen containers and reheating or fresh food. And then I were like, okay, let's build this business. And I go to Carmichael Training Systems in Colorado Springs, Ian, and I schedule an appointment with their their director guy. And I'm in like, hey, I want to do training tables. I want to feed your cyclists. Because at that time, you know, it was a really big deal. He was training all the cyclists. CTS was a really big endurance training house. I had a big facility here in Colorado Springs. I'm like, I can do training tables and nutrition and, you know, all this stuff. And the guy asked me this one question. He's like, so what are you, like a nutritionist or a dietitian? I'm like, no, dude, I'm just some big yoked out chef who can cook. (laughs) And uh, so needless to say, I don't remember the rest of the conversation. All I remember was leaving the office kind of with my tail between my legs, driving from Colorado Springs back to Castle Rock, going, the fuck's a dietitian? And like, uh, I don't even know. I don't even know what the hell that is. So I came home, I Googled it. And six months later, I was enrolled in a program and I ended up having to go back to school. And because I had a BA, not a BS. So I had to do all those science classes to even get into this program. And um, 
So there you go. Like I became a dietitian off of that. Just one comment. Isn't that interesting? Like you were, you probably went into that meeting so confident. You're like, yeah, I cook great food and I can do this for your athletes. But then he's like, well, you know, are you an expert in anything? And you're like, yeah, I'm, I can cook. Yeah. But that wasn't enough. And that's what fuels you to become a dietitian. That's crazy. Yeah. And like, you know, what I looked at is like, you know, if dietitians, the food nutrition professionals for healthcare, I'm like, well, that's who I want to be. And that's who I became. And, uh, that's, that's what little Andrew became a dietitian. So did you, when you were thinking about going back to school, was it solely just to kind of be that dietitian who create, could create those meal plans and do those training tables and do all that kind of sports nutrition type stuff? Yeah, I didn't have really any, any interest or any inclination to do uh, medical nutrition therapy or clinical stuff, which is an interesting twist I'll get to. But my whole goal was to take the chef component that I had and turn training tables upside down so people weren't eating these boring food right there's no reason you can't have restaurant quality just i look forward to eating you know not the joyless eating and that was my main primary goal which changed uh yeah right so i loved clinical i ended up getting a job at a hospital here in colorado from my internship for my clinicals hours and i stayed there for two years um, which was invaluable. I got to tell you, all of the experience clinically has played almost every day in what I do. So that's awesome. Yeah. And that's crazy that you love clinical and you had no idea that you would. No, I, I love the aspect of the science. I didn't like the apathy I ended up having towards clients. And I guess we're all like full disclosure. Your podcast is pretty real deal. Um, as a dietitian working clinical, I was like, eh, you know, who who do I not need to see? Who can I see last? Yeah. Day? Let's. <laughs> Can I work the ICU? Who do the intubated? Who's the oncology? Like, where's the bariatric stuff? I, I don't want to do any more diabetes educations or the indigents who had already, you know, lost their legs to diabetes. Like, don't want to do that. And so I got tired of it and burned out pretty quick of having discussions about nutrition with people who just clearly didn't give a shit or didn't have the means to care, really. And so it was nice to transition over into private practice where I was able to, you know, weed out who I worked with, with people I felt were wanting of a service. Right. Right. I always say like clinical is like, they're already sick. So if you're not into already sick people, then you might as well just move on because they're not going to really care about what your intervention and what your suggestion is. Yeah. So if you like that preventative health side, get the hell out of clinical. Yeah, I agree. Well, if you like the ICU and you like calculating TPN, you know, salts and electrolytes, all those things, that's great. Um, Mm -hmm. but I guess not my thing. Oncology was cool, but I found a sweet little niche that involved taking uh, my chef experience being a certified executive chef. Right. So that's the one thing that I have on my list of alphabet soup behind my name. That's different than most <laughs> other dietitians who are air quote chefs. Like, yes, nah, went to culinary school. That's not a chef in my mind. And, and I don't say that out loud. So I don't know who listens to this podcast, but like <laughs> chef requires some street cred. Right. And, uh, I, I don't get miffed when people call themselves chefs. I just have a different opinion of what that word means. And I think that people in my industry do as well. So being a certified executive chef and a dietitian is like, yeah, man, we can take food and do some great stuff with it. And that's- I think that's, a, that's a, I was going to ask you about that because I, 
I've always said, like, I am a dietitian. I am not a chef. So I never try to, like, whip up recipes and act like I know what I'm doing because I have no idea. And I get frustrated with just myself with seeing colleagues that are, are touting that because I'm like, you're a dietitian. You're not just because you're a dietitian doesn't make you a recipe creator or someone that knows how to you know, make great tasting food. But I think sometimes we have a problem with that as dietitians, we kind of cross the line. I don't know. I don't think they cross the line. I, I think dietitians who are competent in the kitchen, who have good skills, maybe went to culinary school, can do recipe development. And they do have that mind for, you know, taking the nutrition or medical aspect and, and putting it into the plate. Like they really are able to be more effective than a chef at creating well-balanced, healthy meals that potentially need to be used in a a clinical setting or a special needs setting, or let's say a sports or endurance setting. Like I'd be really angry if a chef came to me and goes, I'm doing nutrition plans or creating menus for athletes. Like, um, I don't know about that, but I'm equally as turned off when somebody goes, I went to culinary school. I'm a chef. Now the running (laughs) joke is culinary school means you can cook. It doesn't mean you're a chef. Right. And so that name to me is like a little bit different, but so I'm a certified executive chef. I actually went to the ACF. I got accredited. I had to run kitchens for five years and take, you know, a big test and cooking practical where chefs evaluate you and they really don't want you to be one of them. Right. Cause they're kind of snobby in a group. But once you impress them and you take these exams and you get certified, it says, Hey, yeah, a group of my peers said, I know what the hell I'm doing in the kitchen from a restaurant perspective, you know, it's food, sanitation, cooking, cooking techniques, education, management, even like we're talking had to run a kitchen for a while. So that's the one difference. That's good to know. I didn't know that there was such a big difference in in that, like culinary school and doing the accredited program like that. I think maybe a lot of us don't know that. Well, a lot of the accredited programs, like there are culinary schools and there are culinary schools that give you, let's say a certificate or even an associate's degree. But then there's a governing body called uh, the ACF and, and they're like the Academy or the, I'm sorry, um, mm. CD, CDR for us. And it's mm-hmm. a, we go and we get tested. We take a written test and we do a cooking practical and we're graded by our peers based on our knowledge in the kitchen to say we are we are what we are in the kitchen. So anybody can call themselves a chef, but once you're a CEC, like you're a certified executive chef, like that's kind of a stamp of approval. Like you you can You know your, you know your shit, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So that's and so you use both in everything that you do currently as you just transitioned into private practice, correct? Every damn day. Absolutely. <laughs> so tell me about your private practice and how did you kind of start out and has it evolved and where has that led you to currently what you're doing today? Yeah, I think like anybody, I came out of clinical going, I just want to help people lose weight, get healthy, and really work with athletes. And then you find out really quickly. You know, that sports dietetics sounds awesome, and but it's that niche that everybody wants to get into. And, and I didn't really want to work with – I didn't want to do team sports. I didn't want to do football and soccer and baseball and any of that. I really like the endurance sport aspect of what I did. And so I started my private practice helping people lose weight, eat healthy, change their food and cooking and their perspective. Um, the language of food. I think I helped them understand and speak the language of food. The things that as dietitians we take for granted, understanding how food contributes to our calorie load, saturated fat, protein, carbs, like what these foods are actually made of and how they contribute to your health in a meal. And then teaching them how to use that information, plus the culinary, like how to cook. A lot of my sessions, no no joke, Ann, like 
at some point it'll be me taking my camera and zoom. And instead of us doing a, a one-on-one, we do a one-on-one in the kitchen. Like, and I've posted some of those to YouTube where I taught a guy how to grill, how to grill vegetables so we could improve. That's it. amazing. Uh, and how to do and knife cuts. People bring me recipes on, on our sessions. Like, okay, I like this, but I don't like this. How do I do it? And, and we walk through it. So it's kind of like a mini cooking school, which I think for these people trying to change their life is important. That's interesting. And, and to make it taste good too. Yeah, it does need to taste good. And then I focus. So my specialty, my focus, I think 80% of my practice are endurance athletes. So we're talking ultra endurance, uh, marathon, uh, Ultraman, um, 500 multi-stage day races, 500 mile multi-day races, uh, triathlons, oh Ironman. That's, that's my particular focus because I, I enjoy doing those things myself. So I was going to say, you do those things yourself, don't yeah, you? I do. Yes. So you, so you can relate as an athlete yourself, you can re, you know, relate with how to fuel your body. So you know what these athletes need from you. I think that's important, especially in the endurance realm, because you can, I actually had some a client come to me and say, I was working with this one dietitian and she was like, just eat 60 grams of carbohydrates. And I'm like, mm, yeah, but <laughs> that's doesn't work that way. Like that's 60 to 90 grams of carbohydrate is just theory based on like, you know, 25 year old men. And, and we really can't do that. And in an ultra race where you're out for, you know, eight to 22 hours, your gut yeah. starts to get really messed up. And so you have to look at rotations of products, real food. It, it, it gets kind of complicated. Um, but then we try to keep it as simple as possible because on race day, you can't have this Excel sheet of shit you're going to do. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> and it helps to know because if you know it, you've been out there and you've done it, you get the logistics, how to carry this stuff, where your pockets are going to be, how to carry extra baggies so you don't get sticky. You know, the real things that if you don't do these sports, you're just giving, you know, anybody can read the book. Right. 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 That's, so how often do you get into the, to do those actual events and that athletic stuff. Do you do a lot of that now or are you kind of more on the, the advising? Side? Oh, up to the last nine, 10 months, the last race I did was a 50 K uh, I think in like July or August of last year, I ended up getting a fracture in my foot. Um, oh, no. like a, you know, eight to nine months off a year and then we have COVID. So now I just, I do nothing. I'm trying to get to New Zealand at the moment. <laughs> Yes, you yeah. are. We got to get you to New Zealand. Um, so and I'm assuming since you said like Zoom, so you probably have clients all over the United States that you're working with and all over the, the world. Well, no, because we can't. No? Okay. <laughs> so so yeah. as a dietitian, I'm limited to what I do as a dietitian, but I'm also a USAT triathlon coach. And so I do oh, pick okay. up um, athletes as a secondary coach around the world and in the United States. And I help them with their coach consult on what they do. So I work with some, um, some groups that are led by some high powered like Olympians or other people coaching groups. And I, I work with their team dietitians, so to speak. And I work with their coaches on how to get their athletes, good nutrition. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know you were doing that mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Well, you, you gotta be wise about how you, you know, Sure. Open up the doors for opportunity. Sure. And that's probably came from the community that you're, you're working with. Too. Right. Yep. And I, and I don't, I try, I don't practice out of my licensure here in, in Colorado. Sure. Well, I didn't know, like, you know, when it comes to with that type of, um, you know, practice, if that would be considered, you know, medical nutrition therapy, or if it is something more of nutrition education that it could 
you know, cross some different lines. I didn't know how specific you get in your practice. Well, we get pretty specific because I do, you know, take a look at blood work and lab work. Like, it's the number one thing about what I do. And so I utilize primary care physicians that there already exist. And I collaborate through letters to say, hey, look, these need to be done. So really, more than anything, it's like on a consultant basis, like, hey, run these. You're a regular doc. You don't know what your athletes are doing. We get the lab work. We identify any issues that, you know, were specific to either female or male athlete doing certain sports. And then if there is an opportunity to consult, you know, what, what can you do nutritionally, which isn't medical nutrition therapy, like how can we adapt diet there? There's just basic nutrition counseling, which does allow me to have clients all over the world. Yes, absolutely. And around the United States. Interesting. That's great that you work with doctors and they listen to you. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. But yeah. You got to learn how to navigate that. Doctors are kind of shitty. They'll be like, um, I don't run other people's lab work. So now, you know, like, okay, I get it. So now the conversation with all my clients are, look, you need to have a conversation with your doctor. I'm working with a dietitian. Mm-hmm. He's going to send the letter. These are just things he recommends because this is what I do. And when you put it in a letter that says, I recommend this and I want them to establish a point of care with you, they're a lot more receptive and like, instead of throwing that, I don't run other people's care. Well, clearly we have a common goal here. So right. you right. learn how to navigate that. I can see you being very, very professionally persuasive to have those conversations with people. <laughs> I mean, they're in the best interest. They want to help their people out. Right, right. Well, and I think you still have to be persistent too, because I still think some of those conversations, they do get shut down. And then some dietitians don't just keep per- pursuing that conversation. I'll find them a new doctor, Ann. Like if, if, a, if a, That's a good yeah. idea. <laughs> if a doctor's not going to do it, there's a cool um, sort resource called GritLink um, that I use. I also look for, I mean, obviously they're in Colorado and working with them, looking for Colorado docs. I work with Sport Meds. Um, Rocky Mountain Sports Medicine, like Dr. Kathy Bidlock, you know, we'll send athletes over there. We're talking sports med docs who understand the importance of running these things. When you have an off the couch person trying to do an Ironman or a female um, wanting to do marathons or ultras, like to really get baseline lab work, what is their vitamin D, you know, what are their hormone TSH looks like? Not because we're trying to do some wacky, funky stuff with supplements, because we need to metabolically know where we're at, what do we need to fix, and then check at mid-range to see is your training hurting you or helping you um, from the inside out. And so, uh, it doesn't take a lot of uh, it doesn't take a lot of convincing. I mean, they get it. That's good. That's good. So now that you, so how long have you been in private practice then? How long have you been doing your private practice? So I've been a dietitian. I'm newly minted like six or seven years now. Oh, you're such yeah, a baby. <laughs> and I didn't start private practice until after I come out of clinical. I'm one of those older kind of, I'm 45. And I think that if you don't know your shit, you shouldn't start doing things by yourself. And so I went <laughs> to go true. do clinical for a couple of years. Um, you know, you need that experience before I started taking on stuff on my own. Right. And how, how long have you been a chef then? Oh, 20. 20, 20 You've been doing that long. all your adult life. Mm, mostly. Yeah. You know, I did actually come from tech industry. I worked for IBM Luxmark when I was a young whippersnapper. Uh, I, was a tech, oh. I was a tech nerd. I'm still a nerd. Um, but yeah, I started in <laughs> tech. That's why I went to culinary school is when the bubble burst and blew up. Oh. Got out of the industry and went to culinary school. And so, yeah. Interesting. You've had like lots, lots of careers. I did. I started out as a super, yeah, super tech nerd working for some really big companies and in, uh, in sales. And then I got out. Yeah. Huh. 
Interesting. Hey, do you always wanted to be a have like being a chef always kind of been in the back yeah, of your head? No. Then? Absolutely no? not. And it's definitely not on the top of my list after knowing what the industry is like now. I would oh don't recommend gosh. people readily run into it, that's for sure. Interesting. So how did you fall on to wanting to do that then? I grew up in a family who cooked and I loved food and it was great. And I'm like, this sounds fun. Let's learn how to do this. <laughs> so when you, when you say embrace the hell, yeah, talk about that was fun. Let me do it. <laughs> you okay, did. Well, and shit. Yeah, let me do it. Triathlon. Okay, let me do it. Ultra marathons. Let me do it. And then it came out to be PhD. Like my wife will tell you when I, I do what I want. I know you said that. I, I will share your quote. It's good. It's a good one, but you have a shirt that says I do what I want. That's perfect. <laughs> so sh- <laughs> so share about the PhD. How how did this all come about? And what is your goal with this in the future? Yeah, so I've taught, uh, I taught culinary for nine, nine years at the Art Institute. And I loved teaching. Um, and but that was proprietary education, meaning not in like the state school system. And in order for me to teach, uh, let's say at a university or a college locally in, in the state, I had to have an elevated degree. So then I went and got a master's degree so I could continue teaching. Um, then what I found out was that there's really cool opportunities at universities that I couldn't teach because all I had was a master's. And then I needed a, a, a PhD to go teach. And I'm like, what? They're, you know, UCCS or CU Denver or CSU, and they were looking for all these nutrition people, but people with PhDs in exercise phys were teaching these classes. I'm like, that's stupid. We're dietitians mm-hmm. need to be doing this. And so to continue teaching, uh, I needed a PhD. And honestly, I just always wanted to be an expert in one thing. I've been a jack of uh, many things, jack of all trades, master of none for 30 years, right? Um, as an entrepreneur, <laughs> you know how that works. Um, you know, I was in culinary yes. for a long time. I love the education piece. So I'd found the one thing that makes me a unicorn. And I'm a certified executive chef getting a PhD. Uh, they don't exist. And you're going to be, I like that you are a unicorn. You need a teacher. I do. I need a teacher with a rainbow and a unicorn. <laughs> and be like, I'm special. But it's also just, it allows me to put a lot of credibility behind the knowledge and things that I'd like to do with food. Like there are some teams, like there's some cycling teams, some endurance sport things I'd like to go do, but they want PhDs. And you're like, but they're not dietitians. What don't you understand? Exercise fit guys don't know food for shit. And it's frustrating. And so that's, that's it. I'm trying to bring RDs into that space. I think not that they're not already there, but you know, do it. You just want a t- different angle. You just want to take it from a different angle and, and have it, have you be in that space and open it up. Correct. That are food, food orientated. Yep. I didn't realize there's such a emphasis on like exercise science PhDs being in those space and not necessarily having those nutrition experts. Oh, and space. if you take a look at any of the people doing any of their research in the UK, which is where most of the sports research happens because they get the funding here in the U S we don't get a lot. Of, we, we do get funding. But it was explained to me that sports nutrition in the United States is a tag along to some sort of health fund that they got, right? And so they do their proposals, they get funding for some sort of health, like cardiovascular disease, and they end up finding a spinoff that can be sports related. Mm. And so that's why we see like in the U and the Australia and the UK, uh, they do a lot more sports specific. They just have funding for it. And 
And when you look for programs in the United States, it's kinesiology or exercise phys. But here's the problem with that. We spend all this time in school to become dietitians, not exercise physiologists. We know food. We know how food reacts. We know clinically, medically, nutritionally. But exercise phys guys have taken that on, but they miss the big picture of the food component. Um, they're less applied and more academic, right, or experimental. So I think there is a gap that there's room for us to be in and we should be in it and we're not. Not that exercise fizz don't do a great job, but I listen to tons of podcasts, read tons of journals, and I'm just like, nope, 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 <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So that's is that why you chose to go to New Zealand then? No. Where you're going to get your No, PhD. you want to be really... Okay, so I'm an honest guy and I probably should lie more often, but... I was looking for PhD programs in the United States with people that I wanted to really work with, that I admired their work. And that guy, Sean Bearden, who does another podcast, can I mention it? So he does the Science of Ultra, and he's a PhD out of Utah. He took a sabbatical, this guy, and he crushed my dreams. I really wanted to work with him because he's an ultra guy himself. He does a lot of the research. Like, that's the kind of guy I want to go work with. There's some Ormsby and some guys out of Miami and Florida, but then I'm like, I don't want to move there. I don't want to live there. Um, and I don't want to get tangled up into a you know four or five-year PhD program in a shitty town. I'm not young chicken anymore. I'm not a spring yeah. chicken. <laughs> so I got a little fed up, and I got, I got turned down a few times. Um, they weren't accepting or took a sabbatical, the people I really wanted to work with. And I was being picky. I wasn't just picking anybody. Well, mm-hmm. I happened to have a book by a lady named Stacy Sims, and I was using her work to help me be more effective with female athletes because she wrote the book Roar. She had corresponded with me about a question over an EML, one of the electronic mailing lists for a DPG, but I questioned her mm-hmm. providing like, um, you know, using aspirin or whatever. I'm like, can you really put that in a book or is that, is that okay? And she got back. So I had her email, right? I'm like, sweet. This was like years ago. I had kept her email because you never know. Well, she's like the really pretty girl at school that never gets asked out to the dance because she's too pretty and nobody's, you know, wants to ask. Well, I sent her an email and said, are you accepting? PhD, she said, yes, I am. I'm like, great. Let me send you my info. She's like, yeah, that's cool. Apply. I'm like, sweet. Well, I go to look and she's in New Zealand and my heart dropped. So I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like one place to get a PhD with a lady I really want to work with that I didn't think I had any shot with said yes, and it's in New Zealand. Well, I went to my wife wow. and I said, I'm going to do this one. And if it doesn't work out, I'm going to put the PhD dreams away and I'm not doing it. And sure as shit, on Thanksgiving of last year, not this last Thanksgiving, but on Thanksgiving of last year, I get an email from her or a text message that says, have you checked your email? So I go look at it at my in-laws. I had gotten a full scholarship with research stipend to New Zealand to go study human wow. performance. I about shit my pants. pants. <laughs> and then ever since then, and it's just been this state of like going, not going. I, I wish that we were on camera. I would show you. There's a horrible echo and I apologize, but I'm sitting in my living room and I have three things. You have nothing in there, I bet, because you were moving yeah. and selling everything. Yep. You were I have a dog going. crate for my giant schnauzer. <laughs> I have a small table that's about four feet wide, two stools, and my camera. That's it. My entire living room and dining room <laughs> is all in one. I have an air mattress for my wife to sleep on in her room. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, so oh we're goodness. living like um, like in a meth lab. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I I that's a cra- first of all, that's a crazy story that that all worked out. I mean, like how exciting for you and your future, and it's going to happen. I. I know it will for you. And I know it's been frustrating, but I just, it's so impeccable that you like went after people that you admired and that you're like, I want to work with you. And that's amazing that someone's like, yes, I want to work with you too. So come on over. Let's it was an affirmation thing. for all the hard work that I had put in, like doing, like I could have had my master's degrees from K-State a year before I actually finished because I chose to do the thesis and do unique research. Um, that all paid off, right? Creating your own study, doing ethics board, and not just getting a piece of paper that I had a master's degree. So I did everything the hard way um, and the long way. Like I've been a career student, not going to lie. I have three degrees. This will be my fourth. Yeah, I've got a a bachelor's (laughs) of arts in hotel restaurant administration. I have a culinary arts degree in associates. I've got a bachelor's of science in human nutrition and dietetics. I have a master's degree in dietetics and I'm getting PhD. So like... I don't know. When you said, what does the hell brace the hell? Yeah. I'm like, you, you, I want to do this podcast. It's like, you got to go make it happen. You got to brute force some things. Uh, you know, you just got to do YOLO, right? You only live once. Right. And it doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are. And I know you say you're 40, I'm 45 too, almost. And I feel like this is the best time of our lives to take the knowledge that we do have and grow it and live it and do it. And why not? There's no reason mm-hmm. to no reason it. at all. I don't want to look back and be like, I could or should have what I'm maybe like, I tried, I did and either I failed or I accomplished. And, and as I get older, like with my master's degree, having done it later, being able to apply my actual work, you know, to it was so much more valuable. I mean, I went to school, no offense with all the people I went to school with the master's, but if they and I went to a specific RD program, but some of them had just come out of school or they did coordinated programs and they didn't know shit. Mm. And it's like, you have nothing to pull mm-hmm. from. It sounds good. It's all theory, but there's something to be said for people who have work experience. And that's with the PhD, the applied aspect. Like I'm not wanting to go do a postdoc, not wanting to be in a lab doing research. I actually want to be a PhD doing applied from a clinician standpoint. And that's what my research proposals were about. Like, what do we do with this information that I'm researching? And then how do we actually use it? Because that's what matters to us as dietitians in the field. Right. Cause that's how you help. Yeah. People yeah. We don't take weird studies. Like, um, like I just did a pod. I just did a vlog. I don't do a podcast. I do a vlog. I just did a vlog. And I was talking about a, a study that was done where they said uh, higher fat and higher fluid intakes may protect against GI distress during ultramarathons. And their conclusion of their study was that higher fat, higher fluid. But if you took a look at it, there was also higher protein intake, right? And they could have said a lot of things, but they focused on this. And what happens is the average person reads something and they're like, oh, higher fat. And then they start to do it. And then it blows up in their face and they don't understand why, because the study said so. Well, that's not what the study said. Or you get products that go out and make stuff. And you're like, there's no science to support that at all. I don't care what famous pro does it. Like they are already amazing because they're a pro genetically. They can do shit the average person can't. And then you start throwing their nutrition practices into it. And you're like, "Mm -mm, that doesn't work. Well, that's that's what I like about your approach to everything that you do. You're just like... Hey, no BS. This is the deal. This is how you do it. And this is, you take that 
information and apply it realistically. So I try to, or try to be taught. Like if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Show me where I'm wrong. I'll change and I'll admit it. I think that's the most important part that people don't do is they don't challenge. Like they keep their ideas in their own little bubble and they don't challenge. It means they're always wrong. They're afraid to be wrong. I'm not afraid to be wrong. Like I'll say stuff and this is what I think. And if somebody approaches me, like I should have done it a different way. Okay, cool. Let me learn and grow from that. And I've adapted that way. I've become very versatile and, um, I think I'm a very good dietitian because of that. And you're a good lifelong learner. That is the truth. So my student (laughs) loans remind me every month. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you won't have them though for your PhD. That'll be good. (laughs) Well, I'm excited. Well, I definitely, I mean, I've, I'm a fan. I hope you know that I really value the content you put out there from just a diet, a dietitian perspective. I know I'm not a, an ultra marathon or anything, but I'm sure that that is great content too. And if I had you as a professor in anything, I would be very lucky. I think any of your future students would be yes. very lucky too. I think that's awesome and nice for you to say. Uh, I love teaching. I love delivering content, which is why I do the vlogs, even though I'm not teaching at the moment. My last semester of teaching just ended in December um, as we're getting ready to move. So yeah, that's cool. Did that, did that feel weird? Did that feel weird to be done until you're done with your kind of, well, you'll probably be doing some teaching when you're I'm hoping to do some, yeah, some teaching over there um, when I'm there. Um, It feels like there's this void. Like I have a lot of free space and time, which is kind of nice to focus on some things I had before. Like officially I'm a full-time PhD student, right? I'm getting paid for this. Um, Right. But there's a little bit of a lull because of, Again, my master's work at K-State really catapulted me into the fast track for what I was, was, and I was able to get things done faster than anticipated, which is good for now. It'll get really hard soon. Um, but, you know, it's the benefit of doing all kinds of neat stuff is you just have a lot of skills and resources to pull from. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited for you. I'm excited to keep following along in your journey. I hope I get a little, see little tidbits of you when you have time. After you start your program, I'm sure you'll have a little time here and there. But I just, I wanted you to know that I value everything that you do. And I hope that people listening to this podcast also value the timing of your life is endless. So do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do Yeah, don't be afraid. There's some interesting things like, just don't be afraid. Like we sold all of our stuff on Facebook for our house. And we're empty. Like my wife, we know that when we travel, we have three carry-on bags or three checked bags, one carry-on. That's all we're taking with us. And so we've trimmed down so much. It just gave us a whole different perspective on life and what we need and and the time we spend together or the things we don't need, like keeping up with people. Where I wouldn't say we're minimalist. Well, we're minimalist by by sheer necessity right now, but I think it's turning into design. Yeah. So I think when you when you're comfortable being uncomfortable and you pressure yourself into doing things like that, you will, you will find a lot of neat things that aren't status quo. And that's really what helps you grow and, and even change, right. And be different, find happiness in different ways. Right. And your wife sounds oh amazing. God. Be along for the journey. Way better than me. I'll tell you <laughs> that. Like I'm probably the biggest pain in the ass. You, you found your human. She definitely 200% you. Awesome. the truth for sure. So, <laughs> she she has to go yeah we do like that was like 35 <laughs> minutes of all about me though and so like i've listened to some of your content and follow what are you what are you doing at the moment and what's been what's on for 2021 with with what you're doing 
Yeah. You know, um, well, that's the podcast is more about you, but I've been actually, so I actually work in retail as a dietitian as well as my own thing. So I've actually have been working during this whole time, which has been very interesting and in how that's changed with that kind of care for my customers, but kind of rethinking the podcast. I think I kind of, I'm going to start doing something different with that. So I'm looking forward to uh, creating different conversations about mm-hmm. our profession because I feel like there's lots of interesting angles about, I'm sure you see it too, just different people talking about healthy at every size and who's for that, people that are on the weight loss, you know, who dietitians that do that. But I, I think we all need to play a little bit nicer together and trying to figure out how those conversations can be created to make it better. So that's kind of the angle that I take with the awesome. podcast. Let me, uh, think. I would love for you. Yeah. I'm a very abrasive kind of guy. Like it was, um, it was explained to me once that I'm like a battleship that goes broadside into fighting. There was no jab and weave or, or tactical or whatever. And like, I tried to take that to heart and be a little different, but when it comes to our profession, I really hope people like you will take it on and say, why aren't there more RVs in these spaces? Why are, is nutritional psych- psychiatry a thing when they used to laugh at us 10 years ago, right? So like 10 years ago in your nutrition space, I wasn't a dietitian, but if you tried to bring nutrition intervention into, psych- into depression, they'd have laughed you out of the room. MDs would, DOs would, psychiatrists would. Totally. And, but now it's a whole discipline for them, right? Where are we in that? We're not there. You can take a look at um, other aspects of nutrition that are being taken over by other healthcare professions, which is cool for them to know about it. But our profession isn't grabbing on to these things. Um, we don't have prescriptive authority for some of these things. It, it's, it's sad. And I really think that we don't get viewed as what we really should be because we're not grabbing on to these areas. I would agree with you. And I think that is a huge problem because we're kind of getting out of the nutrition expert. The expert part is kind of fading away. We're just kind of like grouped with everybody else that's trying to do the same thing. So I agree. The nutrition, that nutrition psychiatry, that's an interesting aspect. I'll have to put that down. We might have to have a little back and forth and I'd love to get your perspective on what you think are some trending areas that dietitians really need to start stepping up and yeah, I think that's one good question to ask is like, you know, all the other dietitians and that's one that I see, but there are more like the exercise phys is an area where like, why are they taking over the sports stuff? Why aren't RDs doing more? Why isn't there a, a PhD RD sports nutrition program? Why are they all exercise phys and kinesiology? How come? I've noticed that. That's so true. I've had so many interns that that's what they're doing. And I'm like, because there are no programs. There are no PhD professors who have started a program to do that. And so they're all exercise fits. And I think that's cool if that's what you want to do. But again, they don't get the food size. You see, you see some research. I've looked at some research. They had money and they published. And you're like, no person in their right mind would ever do that. Like I could tell you right now, two plus two is not five, but that's what your study just tried to figure out. Like the, the practical application, you know, like that was dumb. Like you, like any dietitian could have told you that huh. was stupid. You need to make that. So, but we're right. not there. So I think those are two that I see. I think there's other areas. Clinically speaking, it was also very. You know, I, I know we're done. If you got to go, you, we, like oh, clinical. No, 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 no. Yeah. Right. Like there are no, places in clinical where we just don't get the respect we need. Um, no, not at all. I worked in clinical for seven years and that was so I was kind of like you, you, you tapped out way earlier than I did. I got to the point where I was crying in the parking lot. So I'm like, this sucks so bad. <laughs> and I think it is because we don't have 
you know, that space that we are recognized as being important and being part of the care plan and having those ordering rights and those type of things. And that's exhausting. Incredibly exhausting. Like there are nutrition related labs that I should be able to order, but I instead I have to go beg or ask an MD to do it. And then they don't even pay attention. I couldn't tell you how many low vitamin D levels. I would say 90% of the people that I see in Colorado have low vitamin D, but I had to ask more than once to have it. They didn't quite understand. What Right. And that's just one that's parameter, not, not, not the other one. So I think our industry needs some step up and needs to change. Obviously, I think, you know, school nutrition and, and health feeding plans and farm bills and those all have an incredibly important place. But like our journals are all focused on all of that. Like they're just we need to broaden. We need to break yes. out and we're going to get left behind, which I think is pretty obvious. Oh, totally. Yeah. I, I, I will say this and I probably shouldn't, but I get that journal. I get the journal and I throw it away every time because I'm like, this is not relevant to anything. That no, I if you're public life. health and you're in that space, it's incredibly valuable. I'm like I'm glad that they work at that high level, but there's the, our, our industry. It's the neat thing about being dietitian is like, we can do so much stuff and we have so much value to apply to so many different aspects, but we, you never, you would never see it. No one would never know when people call me from the local colleges, probably shouldn't say this. Like, I want to be a dietitian. What would you do? I'm like, I would not be a dietitian. Or, what would you do? I'm like, I'd be a nurse practitioner. <laughs> I would get something with you know, prescriptive authority where, yes. Oh my goodness. So you probably want to edit this out. I, I won't throw the name down, but I went to uh, an interview for a large um, national agriculture type thing with food and they're like we need a dietitian because Mm -hmm. we need the initials but we know that people are listening to the nurses and the doctors about nutrition so they didn't really want me or a dietitian somebody had just wrote that into their whatever charter that they needed to have an rd to synthesize and appropriate or verify the information but they Uh, really wanted the the healthcare other healthcare providers for them like see now that was like a huge turnoff for me and this is a national organization right wow and so i think we're losing ground everywhere for sure it's funny you said that about telling um featured dietitian students i had one yesterday came and talked to me about what she's a senior she's like what should i do and she's like should I go and get my master's? And she's like, I think I want to work in this. I'm like, I think you probably should go be a PA or be a nurse practitioner because if you go down the dietitian route, you're going to be very disappointed mm-hmm. in your future. I actually told her that and I felt bad, but I was like, no, mm-hmm. I'm serious. Yep. <laughs> so good. I'm not the only one that has been <laughs> has said that. And that's in, tough because you get the lot of folks working in clinicals who feel they're doing really rewarding work and you hate to, you know, shit on their parade or rain on their parade, but it's like, really? Like, do you really, like you are doing really great work, yeah. but you're not respected the way, you know, that you could be or should be. You don't have the authorities that your knowledge base really, you know, indicates you should have. Hell, nurses can order an insure. Dietitians couldn't even do that until a medical right. protocol came in and the doctors checked the box that said we could do. We had to call a doctor up to like, you know, 10 years, five years ago to order an insure. Like, isn't it? Like, oh my God. You know, and it's like pharmacy, you don't need dietitians, right? TPNs, pharmacists do it. Right. So, like, there's this redundancy right. exactly. in what we do and the importance of what we do 
it's it's um it's an interesting conversation to have. I think there's a lot of valuable work that we need to be growing more than what we see, and I hope we do it. I do too. Well, you are your motivation. Your motivation for me to keep continuing that path. So that's good. Thanks for uh, thanks for that <laughs> TED talk. That's my next goal: PhD, <laughs> and then I'm doing TED talks. You better. You would be so fantastic at a TED talk. Uh, oh yeah, I, I appreciate the yeah for sure. The cheerleading squad is awesome. <laughs> well, anytime that you ever want to work or collaborate on something, you've got some ideas. I'm happy to be be a part of stuff like that. I like, I like you and enjoyed hanging out with you in the bar and just chatting, getting to know one another. So. Absolutely. Well, I have a few questions just to end our conversation, just to kind of make it our consistency with the rest of my podcast. But why don't you share with me some foods that you enjoy? Italian food, spaghetti, spaghetti and raw. I'm a noodle. I I love noodles. Like I'm a sucker for noodles. So I love soba, cold soba noodles amazing fresh made mm. spaghetti and, and ramen delicious there's nothing like it I love <laughs> you yeah. are a noodle person yeah. <laughs> what about oh goodness well i stopped drinking enjoy. three years ago because i wanted to not because i had to i got so mm-hmm. <laughs> drunk <laughs> Yeah, I had I had to wait almost <laughs> eighteen hours before I could hold down a saltine cracker, and I was like forty two. Oh, yeah, forty two. Like bad. this has got to stop, <laughs> right? And so, uh, you know what? Before I was a vodka whiskey guy, um, but now, goodness, what do I? Coffee, <laughs> coffee with steamed milk. Coffee, with, yeah, yeah. That's, that's my thing. I guess so boring. That's okay. No, you know what though? I think you realize as, and I've realized this as I've gotten older, I feel so much better when I don't drink. I like to drink, but when I don't drink, I'm so much more productive. I feel better. I didn't know how bad I felt until I felt good. (laughs) Right. That's so true. It is true. Um, How about scent Mm, or smells that you enjoy? Orange. Orange vanilla. Mm -hmm. Orange vanilla. Mm, that's a good comment. You can put that yeah, into a so pot. The reason why that's actually on um, my mother-in-law bought me this uh, chapstick and it's like this, it's like a tea. It's like that orange spike. Tea. I love that. Mm. That's my, one of my favorites. Yeah. Vanilla. But you know, I have vanilla beans in the freezer that I'll walk in and I'll rub my finger on and rub it behind my ear. I'm like, I love that fresh vanilla. I know it sounds mm. funny, but I love, love vanilla. <laughs> Oh no, that's awesome. Um, do you, well, I know you probably don't have any TV right now, but do you watch TV? Do Shit, yeah. Are you kidding me? You enjoy? We, don't have, we don't need a TV. I got, I got a monitor. <laughs> oh yeah, I got streaming devices all the Get time. I watch, consume so much television; it's ridiculous. <laughs> but I will tell you, uh, I'm a super nerd. I love anime. I watch thousands of hours oh, of anime yeah. every year, and I'm a sci-fi nerd. So, like anything science fiction. And anything anime, like that's, I, I'm so in the real world all the other times. I just want to watch that stuff. But yeah, I just want to be somewhere else. And I enjoy the stories. Somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, no, layers. I actually have an anime guy <laughs> called Natsu from Fairy Tale on my keychain. And when I teach, 
I would obviously open up the door and I would throw my keys and people with the students would freak out. They're like, dude, that is not what we would expect. From you. Like, I know. <laughs> That's good though. Yeah. Then you keep people guessing. <laughs> and what brings you joy in life? That's a, that's a tough question. I think I get, other than my dog, who my, my Maggie is a giant schnauzer. She has her own Instagram. She has double the followers I have on social media, by the way. Mag's the giant. <laughs> if anybody wants to go check her out, Mag's the giant. So, I'm going to um, have to. <laughs> my dog brings me in such a You know what? Doing crazy shit and getting past it. So like um, I ran to the top of Pikes Peak one day because I wanted to. I woke up. And I, most people get there at like three or 4 a.m. I was running late. I'm like, whatever. I got there at like 10. I had no plan to get down to the bottom. And I just ran to the, I got to the top and I did it like five and a half something hours. And I get to the top and I realized that the, they had shut the shuttles down. There was no way to get to the bottom. And I had to literally go into the, the visitor center and beg a family to drive me to my car because it was getting dark. <laughs> And you can't run down a mountain at that altitude. And, oh my goodness. and I had to take a bus from the parking lot to the base of the mountain anyway. And it wasn't going to run like that stuff. Like that's like, I like challenging myself that way. That's awesome. That, that brings an incredible joy to amount of joy. Just that way. Tell me people telling me I can't do something. That's why I got into bodybuilding and some guy at 24 like, hour fitness that I didn't have the genetics and I was like, fuck you. And then I went and did it. Yeah, I'm 225 like, pounds me. later. <laughs> like, I'm 145 pounds right now. I, put, I was 225 back. And I got pictures on Facebook. Oh, yeah. And it turns out, no and that I am actually genetically awesome because I have small bone structure. So my muscles look bigger without having to be good. So it worked out perfectly. That guy didn't know shit. So tell me I can't do something <laughs> and I'm going to do it. That's awesome. Well, that says a lot about you too, and just all the things that you've done. Like, don't, don't somebody, stop. Don't stop. Somebody needs to message me. You it. can't make money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the one thing I can't see. I can me. do everything but make money. That's my joke with my wife. I can do everything but make a lot of money. <laughs> well, you're realizing that that's not what it's hacked up to be either. So, you know, you just got to live your life, right? It helps. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. And again, I will continue to follow the journey and definitely will share anything that I see that I think you're doing great. I always do that with everybody too. And love your videos and love what you're doing. Well, let's stay in touch and I hope it didn't bore the hell out of the people. The passion Andrew has for our profession, it's unbelievable. And it truly embodies what I think dedication is when it comes to being a dietitian. And to know his path was not linear, but it still led to a deeper understanding of kind of what we need more in dietetics, just more education, just more focus and more dedication. And he's making it happen. He's seeking things out. He's making shit happen by truly embracing the hell yeah and going on this journey for his future. So you need to connect with Andrew. My favorite place, which I love all of his videos is on his YouTube channel. It's called The Endurance Chef. I've linked all of those in my show notes. So make sure you connect with him and learn from him too. Remember to be great always, find the joy in each day and to start a conversation that truly matters.